The name of the series is She Arose. And today, I want to be in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. I want to talk to you about being present in battle. And we're going to see Deborah and the presence that she brings. And I want to talk to my sisters primarily today. I want to talk to you women that are saved by the blood, that are washed in the blood, that are born again through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, which has cleansed you of all of your sins and made you acceptable before the Father and completed you. You are standing in the position of the sons of gods. You may be female in your gender, but you are standing as the fully mature positioned sons of God. And that is the position from which you are to live your life and your presence on the battlefield. And how many of you will be willing to acknowledge that life in the kingdom is a battle? Amen? If it's not a battle, that means you're hanging out with the opposite side too much because he's not fighting you. But it is a battle. We are living in a context of warfare. Although the battle is won through the resurrection and the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that the enemy has stopped fighting. We are reclaiming surrendered ground in our generation. And so Deborah is going to show us about what kind of presence we can all have on the battlefield, but especially those of you that are the daughters of God today. In the book of Judges, chapter number four, in verse number six, it's speaking of Deborah when it says that she sent and she summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor? taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to Deborah, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Father, in the name of Jesus... I ask for a very particular unction now to come to this place and these people. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will be the preacher to hundreds of hearts this morning. I ask that you will pull off the tarp that has smothered and stifled the faith of the 21st century American Christian woman. I'm asking you, Lord, to invigorate, to inject some kingdom adrenaline into the hearts of your daughters who have wondered if they misheard you when they first sensed that calling, who have been talked out of their gifts because someone told them that it wasn't the rightful place of a woman to exercise those gifts. I'm asking you, Father, to undo a thousand lies that have been spoken generationally over your daughters. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, as you affirmed women so supremely when you walked on earth, both before and after you rose from the grave, I am asking you, Lord Jesus, to let us see that mark now in our day as you affirm the daughters of God for the work of the ministry in our generation. And I ask that you would let a Deborah anointing be found in this place beginning right now in Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. So I want to talk to you about the ministry of presence this morning. And I'm going to get to the text in a moment. But I want us to begin with this thought. Who you consistently are makes more of an impact than what you consistently do. They're both important. But in the long run, who we consistently are will outlast what we consistently do. It is the ministry of presence because whether you're proactively doing something or not, you can't help but to be who you are wherever you are. I thought about that this week as Amy took ill just about the time I was starting to get over the flu. It got her and we didn't respond quickly enough. The woman never gets sick. She never gets down. And when she went down this week, she went down hard. And though she was in the house, she wasn't operating, able to operate in her normal presence in our home. So me and the kids were lost. Y'all know how it is, right, mom? Don't you know? Wives and moms know, and husbands and children ought to know, that when mama's not good, nothing's really good in the house. And so I'm, I did dishes, I did laundry, I took care of the pets, I forgot to send lunch for Landon to school two days in a row. And I cleaned and I pushed the button on the Roomba and it did the floors for a little bit. And so a lot of stuff was getting done, but we were missing the presence of the glue of our home. And that's, that's Amy. That's my wife and my kid's mother. I, I thought about that all week long. And I said to myself, how often we take for granted who we are and what we give off. Think about this. Wherever you go, you're giving off some of you. It's the ministry of presence. Now, depending on who you are and what's up with you and the Lord, that can be an extreme blessing to people, or it might be less than a blessing. But the reality is, is that if we're all conscious that we have a ministry of presence, that means wherever we go, we're aware that as ambassadors of Christ, we can make a difference. And so when I'm looking at Deborah in these short verses... Just a handful of verses, I want to see what she brought, how she was present as the battle was starting to take place, and how you and I give off a presence that is also happening during a season of nonstop battle and warfare. It is happening in your culture. It is happening in the kingdom. It is not simply just uh, Satan's realm trying to attack the realm of God. That is the, probably the overarching, but it is happening in our culture. It's happening between individuals. It's happening in racial strife. It's happening in gender strife. It's happening as different moral norms are colliding. There's battle everywhere, and you're in it. And so you're giving off something that is either lending itself to the right outcome to the battle or lending itself to the opposite. And so let's be aware this morning and learn from Deborah. First of all, I want to say this, that Deborah brought a proactive presence. Look with me in verse number six. Look at this woman of God. The Bible uses these words. It says, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Let's just stop there. We're going to finish that verse in a moment, but look at the picture, and I want you to get this. Remember what we learned about Deborah last week. She's a prophetess. She's a wife. 
She is also a highly valued military asset, as we're going to see this week and Lord willing in next week's message. She is a mother in Israel. She is a singer and a songwriter. And she is one who is operating in a culture that's being oppressed by an enemy. This king, Sisera, and his, and his um, uh, uh, leader, uh, military leaders, Jabin, and they are oppressing Israel. It's been going on that way for 20 years. And so in Deborah's life, she's lived in a context of oppression, and she, as a woman in a culture, the ancient Israelite culture that did not value women, she is among the most oppressed in the oppressed culture. And yet what we see is her not making excuses, not her whining, not her wearing her victim's hat every day, not her complaining, not her bemoaning, but we see her arising. We're seeing her attributing more uh, uh, glory to the sovereignty of God than the sovereignty of her circumstances. And so this, this woman motivates us as we look at her, but here we see her in this, in this scene where war is about to happen, and we're going to start seeing her gifts come to the foray. I like the fact that she was proactive. Look at what the scripture says. It says, she sent and summoned Barak. Now remember, she's the judge. That, does, that word doesn't connect, uh, connotate much for you and me living in the 21st century in the West, but what that means is she's the leader in Israel. She is the prophetic voice, but she is also the civil leader. And so she is the one to whom all the people are coming for judgments, for wisdom, for guidance. And enough people have been coming to her about the oppression coming from the enemy that she is constantly, we can assume she's constantly talking to the Lord about this. And here in a moment of time, she doesn't sheepishly send a lovely handwritten note to Barak saying, if you have time, could you stop by and see me? The Bible says she speaks with authority. And she sent for him and summoned him. Now, if he's in his own town, he's about 70 miles away from where Deborah was. This isn't, you know, hey, stop by on your way to lunch. This is, come see me. I have a word for you. And I love the fact that she is operating in the authority and in the giftedness that God has given her, and she's not apologizing for it. So she's giving this at the very beginning, this authoritative word, but it's also going to be an affirming word because she says this. She's saying, I want to talk to you about what the Lord is saying over your life. Now, this is powerful. This is the nature of prophecy is that you hear things and you speak what you hear from the Lord. And in this case, she's operating in that office of prophet and she's saying, Barak, God wants to do something for you. I want you to come and I want you to hear. Has not the Lord commanded you? So it was an affirming word, but it was also an alerting word. In other words, as Barak is coming, he knows he's going to see the prophetess Deborah. He knows the power of God on her. He knows the wisdom of God on her. So he is at attention. He is alert. Um, there's a lot of, I believe, misguided thoughts about Barak. He is often painted in kind of a, a negative light because of some of the verses we're going to read today. But I want to tell you something. When Deborah, the woman, Deborah, the prophet, Deborah, the judge, sent for him, he went. So he's at least got to be smart because he knew that Deborah had a proven track record. Deborah was displaying something here in this proactive presence. Um, First Chronicles chapter 12, I believe, is where the sons of Issachar are mentioned. And it says of the sons of Issachar that they had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. And uh, Deborah might as well have been a son of Issachar. 
Because of all the people in the land, God was speaking to her about what was happening and what needed to be done. So follow with me down into the next part of verse 6 and into verse 7. She not only brought a proactive presence by summoning Barak and telling him to come to her, but she exhibited a discerning presence. She was proactive and she was very discerning. Verse 6 goes on to say, Go, Barak, gather your men at Mount Tabor. Take 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And she's speaking on behalf of the Lord, and the Lord says, I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army. I got them reversed earlier. Jabin's army to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Deborah is saying this. It's phrased in a question. Has not the Lord said, here's what you're to do? And so here she is, and it's not vague. She's not hiding behind some supernatural, mystical kind of cloudy statement. She's getting very specific with words of knowledge, words that had come to her through revelation from God, and she was bold enough not to sit on them, not to try to round the edges off of them, but to be bold in her office and say to Barak, here is what the Lord is saying. Now, one of two things can be uh, inferred from the way this is written. Either she was using the language of saying, for the first time, here is what the Lord is saying to you, Barak. But the Hebrew seems to possibly indicate that she is aware that the Lord has already been speaking this to Barak, and he's not moving in it. So she's not only discerning enough to know possibly what the Lord says to her, she's discerning what the Lord's saying to him. And sometimes, how many of you know, you need a human voice. Sometimes, listen, I've gotten words before, and I'll sit there and I'll know it's the Lord speaking, and I'll know that I just say, this this has got to be the Lord, this doesn't sound like my own voice, this isn't coming from somewhere else, But, but I'll need some confirmation of it before I act on it. Now, you, you can think whatever you want to think about me. I'm just being honest here. And there will be somebody that will come by, somebody with skin on. And, and that person with skin on will say, you know, I was praying for you today, and this is what I felt like I heard the Lord saying, and I just felt like I was supposed to share it. And boom, in that moment, not only has God spoken, but it's an affirming word because it's been confirmed by the mouth of a brother or a sister. This is possibly what's happening here. The reality is, is that I'm... I find it very noteworthy how specific it is. She's saying this. I'm going to tell you the two two tribes from which you're going to draw your army. I want you to go to Zebulun, and I want you to go to Naphtali, and I want you to get a comprised group of 10,000 soldiers. And then it's this. God says, I'm going to stir the heart of of Sisera, who's the commander of Jabin's army, and I'm going to motivate him to come up against you at the river Kishon. He's going to bring all of his chariots and all of his troops, and then, by the way, I'm going to give them to you for lunch. See, that's, that's pretty, pretty uh, potent stuff there. I don't know where you are. I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail here. I, I don't know where you are when, when you find yourself in a season of attack as a Christian when you are confronted by maybe human opposition. As is often the case, we can discern that we're being confronted by spiritual opposition, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against dark forces, that the enemy himself is coming against us, and he can use a myriad of ways. I'm not real sure how you respond, but I'm going to tell you how you're allowed to respond. 
You're allowed to look at your opposition. You're allowed to look at your human enemies. You're allowed to look at all that opposes you as you are seeking to live out the will of the Lord. And when it is coming against you hot and heavy, you are actually allowed to look at it and say, I am not afraid. I will not be moved. I will not back down. I will not negotiate. I will not step to the side. I will not fall away. I will not run in fear. Do you know you're actually allowed to say that? And you're actually empowered to say that. And you're actually encouraged to say that. Because I want to tell you, every single one of you who has set his or her life for the glory of Jesus Christ, you will be opposed. When when you signed up, you got a t-shirt with a big bullseye on it. And every day you put it on because the enemy will leave millions of people alone because millions of people, they have no ability to bring any kind of encroachment or threat into what his plan or strategy or scheme is. He will leave most people alone, but not you. Not you because you have set your heart, your mind, your life, your words, your influence, your relationships, your resources. You've set them for the glory of Jesus and his radar goes off and he says, we'll have none of that. And so he comes against you. But I like what the Lord did here for Barack. Barack says, hey, you just show up for the battle. I'll make sure the enemy gets out there and he's going to show up for the defeat I've got planned for him. See, when you see your enemy coming, instead of saying, oh no, I'm in trouble, you should say, oh, thank you, Lord, for bringing him to me. Let's take care of business. Now, that may sound a little too cocky for you, but I don't think it sounds any less spiritual than the the pandemic of people that are biting their nails, knocking their knees, saying, oh my, alas, what shall we do? You know, it's got to go beyond the amen pep rally. It's got to get beyond all the mm -hmm, wise things are being spoken. We affirm that. It's, It's... You've got to live it out. And I'm going to tell you something. As I, I had a friend speak a word over me the other day, and it blessed me and bothered me all at the same time. Because it's a word I hear all the time. And it's, Jeff, the Lord has raised you up. You are born for war. And I was like, I know. I got it. But nobody ever says, Jeff, you were born as a poet. You were born as a gentle dove to light upon people and bring sweet breezes of encouragement. I never get those words. So, okay, you gotta, at some point you got to assume your, your place in the kingdom. But, but, but when, when, because I'm born for war, because I've, I've, I've been in it, because I've floundered in warfare before, I've struggled in warfare before, I've become discouraged in warfare before, but the one thing that God by his grace has never allowed me to do is I have never quit in warfare. And when you don't quit, you learn. And what, one of the things that you learn is when you see it coming again, you know it's a setup, but you're not the one getting set up. Your enemy is. Yes. Your opposition yes. is. And so the father was saying that, and Deborah discerned it. And what an encouragement for Barak, who's being called to go against the most potent force that opposes Israel. And Barak's told it ahead of time, yeah, God's going to set him up at this place because that's the place where God has determined you will whip him. And so that is the word that Barak gives. I appreciate discernment. I love discernment in God's daughters. Um, I don't want to get too generic with this, but this is my personal belief. I believe that women have a leg up on the gifting of discernment. I just believe that. 
I, I, I think that it's even true in the natural. I mean, men, we are just kind of, Amy says it this way, that men are like waffles, you know, the little squares, the little linear waffle, and women are like spaghetti, where everything touches everything. And, and men, we miss a lot of stuff because we think linearly and just, you know, analytically, and oftentimes women see how this touches this and this touches this and this woven in with it, and they discern things. And Deborah's discernment, what I love about it, is she discerned something good prophetically. At the risk of sounding critical, a person who presumes themselves to be uber-prophetic and is always pointing out what's wrong, is always negative, is always critiquing, is always, you know, just kind of legislating the thou shalt nots and, the, you know, just kind of the, the negative stuff constantly. I don't, I don't really know that she or he is all that prophetic. They may just be critical. And, and Deborah, when she's speaking here, she is painting this picture of glory for God and victory for Barak. That's, that's worth going 70 miles on foot to hear. If somebody's going to summon me for a prophetic word and I get there, I want it to be something like that, amen, to tell me how good God is and what God's going to do. Now, that doesn't mean there's not an occasion for warnings. That's all in there. But Deborah's vibe was that she discerned specifically, yes, there's a problem, but there's a God higher than that problem. And there's a plan from that God who is higher than the problem. And that plan involves you. Hey, Barack, this is what the Lord's going to do. So all of us that operate in the prophetic, I just want to encourage you. Um, Look, man, don't be a Debbie Downer all the time. That's not in the Bible, but it, may, it makes sense to most of you. It just Listen, if, if, if you're always getting a negative prophetic word, I'm just going to go out on a limb. You're probably not listening to the Lord all the time. Because God's actually pretty happy. I mean, he is. He's not flippant. He's not glib and he's not silly, but he's in control. He knows how the outcome's going to be. He really loves his children. He actually likes us in spite of our failures and struggles. And so it's not his spirit all the time that's shaming and critiquing and pointing out. That's flesh. When God moves, and yes, again, you're not hearing me say he doesn't correct. I'm talking about the general tenor of a prophetic woman. Let it be that of discernment into the good and the true and the right and the holy and the pure and the lovely and the just. All things being altogether beautiful. Verse number eight. Deborah exuded a reassuring presence. I like this. So, Deborah has given a command from the Lord to Barak. It says, go gather your men. And Barak said to her, verse 8, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Teaching moment. I like this. Poor Barak, man. I mean, he has gotten slammed uh, as long as people have been expounding Judges chapter 4 because we read into it our, our, our ideals that he's supposed to be the man. And that, bless God, if he was the man, Deborah wouldn't even be needed. She could go back to the kitchen, amen? <laughs> right? Y'all are laughing, but it's true. People think that Deborah was plan B, that God had a really good plan that was supposed to involve some men, but none of the men would show up. So he's like, Deborah, come on. Deborah was plan A. Deborah was the stuff from the beginning. She was God's first choice. And Barak knows it. And so Barak comes and he's in the presence of the woman who had been elevated by God 
to the highest civil authority in the land. She was operating with the highest, as far as we know, highest prophetic voice in the land. And Barak is in her presence, and she has said, you're going to go to battle with 10,000 of your crew. You're going to get out there, and you are going to whip up on the enemy. And Barak is smart. He says, I ain't going unless you're going. Because she had a touch of God on her. Listen, nobody would even question it if, if Deborah was a man. If Deborah was David and they had said, David, we will not go to battle unless you go to battle with us, nobody would fault them for having a lack of faith. They would say, smart guys, they want God's anointed in the midst of, but because she's a woman, Barak gets looked at down through the ages as the guy who had to have a woman fight his battles for him. No, he wanted the presence and the power and the anointing of God on that battle, and he's a smart man. I love that about him. I think one of the things that it exemplifies is something we can learn in the church is that brothers and sisters, men and women in the body of Christ, we're actually meant to go to battle together, not against each other. We're actually supposed to be side by side. How many of us know that God chooses to work in unique ways in the gender that's opposite of ours? He does. There's ways that he's going to use women that I'm just not going to be used. And there's ways that he will use men that they may not be used either. And I'm not jealous about that. I love standing back and watching God use his daughters. And I just sit there sometimes. I'm like, I, I, I just am stunned. She just flows in that. She just moves in that. She's a powerhouse. She explodes in that. And it, that what, what she is proficient at by the hand of God never would have even occurred to me. And instead of putting my hands in my pockets and how come you didn't give me that gift, God? Why'd you withhold? Rejoice. Because what, what, is, what is being blessed through her, because I am one with her in Christ, it's a blessing to me. And so, yeah, there's going to be some battles that come. There are going to be some strategic moments where I want a daughter of God by my side, depending on the situation. Not simply because she's female, but because that woman who's female in the kingdom happens to possess an anointing that is ne necessary for whatever the moment is demanding. And let's see what happens here. He says, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Hashtag together. Hashtag unity. Hashtag no compromising, no competing. So this is a kingdom woman, a kingdom man working together for a kingdom assignment. What God has given Newbridge Church uh, won't, won't be able to be done by men alone. It's impossible. And it won't be able to be done by men plus women in their historically traditionalized roles, i.e. their suppressed roles. It won't happen. We will either come to the place as believers in the 21st century where we actually internalize Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2 where the Bible is very clear that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What does that mean? They're going to proclaim, they're going to preach. That's what it means. Don't tidy it up with our American kind of uh, lens that we place on it. 
You say, well, Jeff, I, I don't know about that. Well, do you believe that God would give them the poured out power to do something and then say you can't do it? Come on. Come on. Oh, you said that to me. I'm saying it back to you. Come on. <laughs> Why did he pour out his spirit? By the way, that's, that's not going to happen. That's happened, and it is happening. We're not waiting on that to happen. It happened. How do we know? Acts chapter 2, Peter said that Joel 2 has fulfilled this day. Yes. It began that day. And so this is going on, and yet the Western church or the conservative evangelical church has said that's not really appropriate. And brothers and sisters, we've got to come to this place where we've got to recognize that, that God's not asking permission to be true to his word. He's not asking us to move, make a move in a second, and then we vote by majority and we say, okay, Lord, we, we believe that can happen. He would say, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? You thought I was waiting on permission. When the reality is this, is that God's, God's truth stands sure, but it's been generations, even centuries, where vast um, numbers in the, in the, in, in the church have said no to this. We've said no to more than 50% of the body of Christ. Women make up more than 50% of the body of Christ, and we've told them that they can't do what God says he empowered them to do. Is it any wonder why, why it looks on the outside like the church is in decline? It looks like far more people are going to hell than to heaven, and the church is anemic and powerless, and men are married to their Xboxes instead of their Bibles. And they're giving their hearts and their minds to pornography instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the poor frustrated daughters of God are standing by saying, we've been taught we can't do anything, but I wish we could. Well, sister, I want to tell you, you can and you must. The daughters of God can no longer sit by praying for the men to invigorate revival. The daughters of God need to begin to pray, God, give me the nations. Give me the nations. Lord, give me a platform. God, give me in, uh, influence. God, give it to me. And don't wait on some man to say, okay, we permit it. Now, I am not trying to instigate any kind of division in the church, but what I am doing is saying this. It's not about position. Again, it's about presence. Yes. It's who you are, and you are who you are wherever you go. Yes. And so I'm going to tell you something. Somebody that has said yes to the calling of God, somebody who has said yes to the plan of God, somebody who is operating in the spirit of God for the glory of God, doesn't need to, to wonder if anybody on earth is going to prevent it from happening. Listen, it's It's impossible. There would be, God would have to look at you and say, I've called you, I've equipped you, I've ordained you, I've done all of this, but I'm sorry I can't use you because these fellows over here are getting in the way. So, so, so what does a woman do? Well, a woman just starts serving God. She just starts, listen, God called you to preach, just start preaching. Just start preaching. Say, well, where, Jeff? I'm going to tell you something. When it gets burning in your bones, he will give you an outlet. He will give you an outlet. Preach wherever you can. Start, just ask the door, Lord to open doors. Jesus said, I'm the one who opens the door that nobody can shut, and I'm the one who shuts the door that nobody can open. So, moving forward into this, y'all still with me? 
You have the right to be angry this morning. You have the right to be encouraged, but you do not have the right to be bored. Verse number nine, Deborah op operated in a prophetic presence. So we've got her proactive presence, her discerning presence, her reassuring presence saying to Brogans up saying, I'll go if you go. And now a prophetic presence. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, Barak. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now this is good. So she's given him the specific battle plans. He's saying, I'm only going as long as you're going. That's, that's her presence. Her presence was reassuring, by the way. That's just an awesome thing for a woman of God, one of God's daughters, where people actually want you around. I'm, I'm not being flippant. They don't see you coming and say, oh, no, here comes sister high and mighty. Always got a negative word, always got a finger poking out, always got something to criticize, always got some, some gossip dripping off her, her tongue and some slander backed behind her teeth. And they walk away. Deborah wasn't like that. Deborah, Deborah was so anointed and so gifted that, that her presence was a reassurance to the extent that Brock said, you got to go to the battlefield with me. And so... When he tells her that, she puts back on her prophetess hat. She says, I'm absolutely going to go with you. She didn't shame him. She didn't call him a coward like so many preachers have done down through the ages. She said, I'm going to go with you, but I want to tell you something. When this battle is won, they're not going to be singing songs about you, Brock. The glory is not going to go to you. You're going to do your part, but the glory is going to go to a woman now, I'm going to build a quick bridge. This leads us in the study on Deborah. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about another woman that is so integral in this story in Judges chapter 4 and 5. I love what Deborah does. Now, a lot of people, this is the burning question. Deborah gives this prophetic word, but she doesn't give the name. Was she thinking that the glory was going to go to her? Now, there's nothing in the scriptures that indicates she wanted the glory, but she did receive revelation in that moment. To be able to speak and say, you're going to go and lead the battle, but the glory will not belong to you. It's going to belong to a woman. Now, here's, here's what people want to know. They want to know, did Deborah foresee that or assume that she was going to be receiving the glory? Or was she so prophetically in tune that she foresaw what a woman named J.L. was going to do? J.L.'s about to do a number on Sisera here in the next chapter. This is a beautiful moment just to remember something about the prophetic, because for a lot of us, if you're new here, um, Newbridge Church is the result of a cessationist church, formerly cessationist church, not believing in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, merging with a charismatic church. And so we worked in detail to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, why they are still available, why they are still active, what do these gifts look like. But one of the things to recognize about prophecy is that, in, especially in New Testament times, it, it is not always picture perfect clear from beginning to end when you get a prophetic word. That's why Paul said, we prophesy in part. 
So it means you can get the general sense of something, but not have all of the specifics. And so I'm wondering if this moment is Deborah prophesying in part, did she actually know JL was going to be a glorified woman for what she does to the leader of the enemy army? Or was Deborah prophesying a part and getting this word from the Lord that everybody assumed would be applied to Deborah? Deborah would get the glory. Well, the fact of the matter is, is we don't know, but I thought it was a great teaching moment to say this, that her prophetic presence allowed her to say something hard, but she still cocooned it in an overall context of victory and blessing. The victory's coming, Barack. But by the way, Barack, you're not going to be the star billing. You're not going to be the top name on the list. It's actually going to go to a woman. And Barack doesn't even seem to reply. He's probably like, I don't care. As long as you're going with me, let's go down there. What I like about this is nobody seems to be in it for the glory. And so as Barack had just, think about this, ladies, the most highly prized asset in the battle was a woman. God had so worked in her life that the main military leader said, I will go without 1,000, 5,000, 8,000 of my soldiers before I'll go without you. That's the emphasis. He didn't use those words, but the, the reality. And so I just want to ask God's daughter something here because we live in such a shaming society, such a devaluing society. I have three sisters. I have a wife. I have a daughter. My life has been around women my whole life, and I have systematically been enlightened from, from probably the day of my salvation at age 24 to the present day at age 47. I have just seen the strategy of Satan has always been to suppress and denounce and shame and objectify women. It is rampant. It is in every culture. You hear me on this. There is oppression against races. I will give you that. But in every single one of those races, the most oppressed person is woman. Everywhere, in every culture, in every society, Satan hates women. And the reason why he hates women is because they reveal in very unique ways the beauty and the tenderness and the mercy and the compassion of Father God. They reveal to the onlooking world attributes of the Father that men don't easily reveal. And Satan has come against from the very garden he came against the first woman to alienate her, to isolate her, to uh, deceive her, and to plunge her into darkness, which her husband entered also with, uh, into with her. Women are objectified. In our culture, women are seen very, and I'm talking about our culture, I'm not talking about the church. But I'm talking our culture. They are seen in value. They're esteemed in value by what they can do for men. They're objectified. There's young ears in here, so I'll be careful. They're objectified sexually. That the default belief of young men, unless the gospel intervenes and Christ sets them free, the default view of young women is, or young men is that a woman is there to please his urges. And beyond the value of what she brings to man, our culture does not regard that. Is it any wonder why 40 years ago, women in America said, we have had enough of this. We are sick 
of being man's doormats, male's doormats. And they rose up. Now, they rose up in the flesh. The women's lib movement of the 1970s and Gloria Steinem and all her disciples and the, the bra-burning, overt, uh, just outrage against men and just we will not be to the extent where women thought they had to abandon their own femininity in order to no longer be victimized by men that is that's just that is the fleshly response to a very real problem i believe that this needs to be the generation where a lot of various forms of oppression are destroyed and strongholds are toppled I have a great confidence in my daughter's generation and younger that they will see the end to the oppression of minorities, to the oppression of women, to the suppression of of people in different economic classes. And I don't believe that any of us needs to wait around and wait for our government to make that happen for us. It is the gospel and the value that Jesus Christ brings to individuals and people groups. And friends, I don't know if we really believe this or not in the church. I really, I think we've got a lot of room to grow. We say amen to equality, but your Facebook page says you believe differently. We say amen to all of these spiritual norms of, in Christ there's neither male nor female. But brother, when there's something in you that rises up when you see a woman walking in authority and you want to shot block her down to where you think in your heart she belongs, there's something wrong. We need to be so broken before the Son of God and in the shattered fragments of our intentional brokenness, we are great candidates to be so filled with the Spirit that we actually begin to think and act like Jesus because we're operating in his presence. Barak says to her, you're the most valued asset. Ma'am, I'm just going to ask you to consider this, and I really pray, I just pray this will land, Lord, let this land. Jesus, let this land. It is time, my sister, for you to start unapologetically believing what God says about you and never let anyone again talk you out of it. You are his daughter. You're the daughter of God. You are highly favored. You are blessed. You are beloved. You are accepted. You are complete. You are precious. He set his affection so distinctly upon you that Satan hated it and has tried your whole life to rob you of it. And that thief needs to have his hand cut off by the sword of faith in your life. And there'll be no more invitation for him to come and rummage through your mistakes to try to redefine you when God defines you as his precious, beloved, and accepted daughter. I'm just going to finish. Deborah manifested a motivating presence. End of verse 9, end of verse 10. So Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali, those two tribes, to Kedesh. 
and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. I love to let my Bible say what it says. It was Deborah, guys. I know it was the Lord, but the Lord loves to use people, and in this case, none of this happens without Deborah. Worship team, come on up while I finish, please. Deborah motivated a nation. Deborah motivated an army. 10,000 fellas said yes to Barak because Barak said yes to the prophetic word that came through a woman. And there was such an unbreakable anointing on that partnership between Barak and Deborah that 10,000 male soldiers looked to Barak, and when they looked to Barak, he was standing next to the voice of conscience and the voice from God. Her name was Deborah. We're going to talk, Lord willing, next week about how the battle went down. It's kind of like a dun-dun-dun moment. I, I can't give it all to you today, but I wanted to set the table today to let you know that it was her presence in the battle that made the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, don't just be in the room, be present. Don't just be in the home, be present. Don't just be at the church, be present. Don't just hang out with your girlfriends, you be the presence. You be the presence. You be the presence in that group. Young women at school, don't just go to class. Be present. Some of you have the silver hair now, and you think your Deborah days have missed you. If I had time, I'd talk to you about a lady named Anna in the New Testament. I talked to you a lady. I talked to you about a lady who, who just gave herself to the Lord night and day, seeking and seeking and seeking, and she never said, "My best days are behind me." So, Father, today, I pray for the spark of faith. I pray, Lord, for the reversal of lies. I pray for those who have never considered whether or not the roles of women were erroneously taught to them. I pray that they would at least consider it. And Holy Spirit, those gifts and those callings that are without repentance. Let them be refreshed today in the hearts of some daughters who've let them go dormant. I pray for deliverance today from that insatiable temptation for women to compare themselves with other women. Break the chains. I want to hear them snap, Lord. Break those chains off your daughters today. And I pray for a freedom for your daughters to operate in the presence and the identity that you've given them. I pray, Lord, that they'll believe it's true. It's so good and so true. And I pray that they won't believe it's for the other lady and not for them. Father, for the woman, the man, the young person that's here today who's never met Jesus, I'm asking you to stir his or her heart right now. Let them come to the completer, the Savior, 
the rescuer, the cleanser, the lover, the king, and the Lord. Let them come this morning by faith and say yes to the one who makes all things possible. Awaken your church, Lord. Awaken us in Jesus' name. Amen.